Here, there, and everywhere. Yeah. SAFM. 105 FM in Welcome back to Sport Tracks with me, Zai Khan, 20 to 8 o'clock here on SFM. If you want to show your support to Nolutando Makalima, the adaptive surfer from Cape Town, born with cerebral palsy, please go to www.backabuddy.co.za and uh, you can get her into the Paris Surfing Championships in California. It may be postponed right now due to COVID-19, but one thing's for sure, she's definitely going to be going all the way, going all the wave, as they say, uh, our disabled surfer. They're representing South Africa at the American event. And this is for the second time, by the way. So she's definitely showed her credentials. But right now, uh, right now, we turn our attention to a name. It's a household name, by the way. I remember growing up uh, to uh, watching both my mom and my dad watching boxing on SABC TV. And Stan Christodoulou was that man with the towel slung over his shoulder, running around the <laughs> ring, making sure that, uh, you know, the boxers were okay. I don't know if he's got a medical degree, but he just knew how to see, uh, you know, fighting and boxers through. Stan, thank you so much for holding on for us. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, what a wonderful award you were also given just a few days ago. Incredible stuff. Tell us about that. It was... Uh, yes, I was, I was very uh, honoured to receive the Honoured Lifetime Achievement Award, which is, amongst other things, you know, granted to um, the, the, the recipient on your sustained positive impact, they say, and the recognise is also the groundbreaking effort. So apart from my referee this is something I feel very proud of. You know, Yara Amos, you're right to sit there after 58 years, nearly 60, but who's counting? Still appreciating. <laughs> I'm still involved, and I love it, and I love it. Really, I do. And I was really, really moved, you know, and humbled when this was made. And, you know, it means a lot to me to, to, to get this type of acknowledgement. You know, having regard to the safety aspects of boxing, you know, I've, I've played a very significant role because I made sure that uh, safety and, and, and for the sake of justice must be was dedicate the best efforts, right? And we organized official mm-hmm. se- seminars. And that's what BSA, the Boxing South Africa, are busy contemplating to do again. Have, you know, workshops where officials can be uh, trained, you know, and I've got some relevant training material, very good stuff. Yeah. And I think this is going to be a big, big help. Uh, Just recently, a boxer died in Zimbabwe. I saw a clip of it, and you could see the referee, unfortunately. I'm not going to criticize the man, but he could have stepped in a bit earlier. So, so, as you point out, a good, good remark you made there. You know, one must know when to stop a fight. One yeah. punch to sue rather than one punch to late, which can result in death. You know what I mean? Absolutely, Stan. And I mean, that, if you think about it, has, I'm sure you being a referee has a psychological effect when somebody has died on your watch and you were the referee. 100%. You know, so in 1986, I was ringside when the death of a boxer, the late Jacob Maraki, died. And it was tragic from Hembridge. And that the medical associations took a swipe at boxing, and we took note of what happened. And we obviously, at that time, I was with the secretary of the boxing board, brought in more safety measures. You know, safety mm. measures are very important. You know, we had we, we had the way like 24 hours before the bouts. They have medicals. We have all sorts of things happening, and you know, and you've got to recognise these signs. And unfortunately, that we had on, on the board at the time a neurologist, and uh, and he drew up the called a punishment index. So there are two boxes are fighting one. You could win one loses, but the one who sustains more punishment could be the loser that the one that can be diagnosed with a problem, you know. Right. And, and those safety measures are implemented, and hopefully now 
Boxy Savagas government, as you may know, by an act of parliament, hmm. and um, they got strict uh, medical and, and, and statutory law. So, so I implement that with workshops I've been doing in Africa, and also I've been to to, to uh, India. I've done I've helped them form the unboxing board. Spent three days there. I've been to China, you know, as well. But it, it works mainly in this country for us, uh, where these clinics are very important. So I feel very honoured that that this award was also granted because of my sustain that, this, as the writer says, the mm. interest and implementing these things in boxing. Sen, I'm sure you've heard this and been asked this a million times. What do you yes. need to be a boxing referee? Well, firstly, what I found, one has to know the rules. All of a sudden, my success has been the name the rules from A to Z and Z to A, you know? Yeah. You've got to make a decision instantaneously. You've got to know the rules properly. I mean, I've been in the most bloodiest fight of all time, the Victor Galenis Richie Cates fight in Johannesburg in 1976. Um, I, I broke him up, and, and Galenis sustained a terrible cut to his eye. And as I broke him, he used my shirt as a towel, wiping it with blood on my shirt. What? It was one of the most dramatic fights of all time, the most bloodiest fight of all time. And uh, that ended on a knockout in, in the last round, and one second to go. When I said out, it was two minutes, 59 seconds. And the, the rounds, you know, it was a 15-round fight and it ended one second before the knockout. And so it's a question of timing, mm. being in good shape. I used to train, run, then I cycled, you know, and I'm fit as the fighters are because you've got to move around. Yeah. Like a fight in Japan, the little little mini flyaways, flyaways, they're like the heavyweights, but they move like to the bees in the bottle. You know, you've got to move fast and, and concentrate. And also, in those years, I was a referee and judge, kept a scoring card. Now, you've got to be really good in shape to do that. You know, mm. if things happen that you've got to watch. So, so fitness plays a very important part. And that's another thing we bring up when we have these workshops. We mm. try to get uniformity with our ring officials knowing that they have the same, on the same page. But if, you, if you're out of shape, you won't be able to breathe. I've seen some referees buffing and I've seen about yep. five rounds. So, <laughs> so you've got to move with the fighters and be unobtrusive, you know. And I found that that's, that's helping it tremendously. I mean, I've, been, I've done 245 world title fights as judge and referee in six continents in every weight category. Anyone in the world has done it. I'm not trying to impress you. That's the truth. I feel very honored and so South Africa to have achieved that. Sure. You know, so, um, and I'm still going. I'm still doing, I'm judging fights. Uh, but lately, the last couple is not because of the COVID situation. Mm. But uh, I've been to, to all these countries I've mentioned now, like more than 40-odd countries I've been to. Sure. And I mean, when you're the referee, right, and and a boxer is knocked out, or it's yes. a knockout, and you're there yes. busy doing the countdown, what, what is the countdown? Is it 10? Is it 20? Well, 10, yes. Well, what, what happens, you know, I, I'd like to rather stop a fight if, if a guy's in picture. But I've had fights where guy goes down, he gets up, he fights back, and he wins. So, you know, I've been in situations where a lot of people criticize. I've just had the right timing to stop it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I've been blessed with that. I'm not, it, it would take training, and I must be honest with you. I started in the 60s, and in those years, you can imagine the, the, the name in the townships. You know, there weren't any uh, black officials, and uh, they, the law of, of the times um, didn't allow that, as you know. Mm-hmm. So white officials were in control, and I played a very significant part in having, and, my, and, and some good people who struggled tirelessly to deliver racial equality to boxing. And I'm proud. Another success I had was that we were able to get the government to change the policies and had the first black-white fight in 1973. Hmm. That's when the era started. But getting back to the 70s, I, 60s, I, I'm, I don't think it's a township I haven't been to. And I, I, I did my, my train, my university, university degree in the township halls, you know. Every Friday night we had a show at, 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 in Johannesburg at the, at the BMSC, down at Illustrated Extension. There was boxing there. So I would say I must have gone to about 2000. I'm not exaggerating. Sure. Boxing, professional boxing tournaments. And mainly the most greatest fighters I've ever seen. 
I give it, maybe be, give, some listeners may know if I go back over the years, you know, we had like Enoch Skuban Tata, we had Axtil and Giri. Guys are big draw cards, Andy the Blue, Jagger, Mogoro, Rivi, Golden Boy, Mari, I could mm. name them as they come. And these, these, these fighters laid the foundation for the, for the uh, uh, Baby Jack Matlavas, the Dingan Tabellas, you know. So, so, so that is what I, I, I pride myself on. And we had some great boxers. We had the first black world champion was uh, Peter Teramatabur in 1980. We've had Kelly Kutsi the heavyweight championship of the world. We've had you know, Brian Mitchell, a lot of great fighters that, that, that also did a lot of fighting in the township. So when, they, when, when boxing was integrated, it just took off in a big way. Because, you know, you can imagine in those years, blacks had to fight, blacks wanted to fight whites, mm. and they went matched against each other. And that resulted, it affected both fighters. One guy fought, to, I remember school before, a guy called Philip blockbusters a record 10 times. I mean, you know? Peter Matabula was what, the first South African to win a world title overseas? Black, 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 black South Africa, yes. Wow. No, the first world title, 1950, Victor Wheel won the Panama Championship of the World, the first world champion. I refereed the second Panama Championship in 1973 when Arnold Taylor knocked out Rebeo Nain, the most dramatic fight ever to win the also a Panama Championship, right? Then in 1980, Peter Matabula created history because he fought Taisi Kim in Los Angeles and uh, from Korea, they, they wouldn't allow the characters to go there. And he won the world title. So it was a big honor for the country, you can imagine. And I was proud that uh, I, I went to the, uh, with, with Peter when he was going to the fight scheduled in Korea at, one, at first. And I even did some road work with him. I ran with him. I remember one guy, Harold Pongola, from the lady, made a piece and said, Stan runs with terror. Said, yeah. Terror is the sneaker with terror Matagula. Yeah. And, and when you won the title, I mean, I was ecstatic about it. You, you know what it meant for boxing, you know? Yeah. So, and then, we, and then, as I said, when it got integrated in such a way that it was a golden era, my, my, my honest feeling was in 1980, when we seven, the 70s, was a golden era because you had the Norman Sikhapani fight Andre Stein. Mm. Classic belt. You know, we had all these great fighters matched to each other to get one champion. And we moved Tyler's and eventually we had one champion because it was a black champion, a white champion. Now it became the unified champion, became one. And that made such a difference to boxing. And we took off in a big, big way. Like, I mean, we had there was a countless uh, champion, Fellas Williams, uh, Gianni Bungle, for example, won the world title, made 10 defenses. Brian Mitchell's got the record, of course, undefeated and also made something like the same uh, 14 fight, uh, title fights. Sure. So uh, Max Sugarwood Malinga won the world title. You know, it meant so much to our fighters. Pete Krause won the, the, the Cruiserweight Championship of the world. And, uh, and if you know, uh, uh, Cody Sonos also talked about heavyweights. Sure. He, won, he knocked at Cliff and won the WBL World Championship. So we've been very, very nice balance between our fights from flyweights right up to the heavyweights, you know? Stan. And it made such a difference to us. I have just been taken down a memory lane trip that I have never been on. Please, I want to I wanna talk to you about the future of boxing as well. When sure. we come back, don't go away. You want to be hearing this from the world boxing referee and judge, Stan Christodoulou, here on SAFM Sport Tracks. Stand Up South Africa is here. It's the show where we're looking for the best singing duo. Watch as family members use their singing prowess and talent to get the judges and audience on their feet. It's all about the standing ovation to get to the top. If you want to see South Africa's duos battle it out for the crown of stand-up champion, catch Stand Up South Africa, Sundays at 6.30 on SABC2. You belong. Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM. 106.2 FM in Table Mountain.
Welcome back to Spot Tracks. We have an exclusive interview with Stan Christodoulou here. And I mean, what a boxing referee and judge he is telling us all about this over 55 years being in the ring. And Stan, I feel like when you talk about boxing and going far back to what, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. Yeah, 63 I started, yes. Is, was that the golden age for South African boxing? No, no, no. no. What happened was at the time, you know, as I said, we had to set the boxing was inter- no, not integrated until 1973 when they had the first world title fight. So, and there weren't any black officials. So, the white we had to get permits to go into the townships. And uh, because boxing was controlled by statutory law, you know, mm-hmm. um, I remember when Steve Churchill became Minister of Sport, um, he, he had a very, uh, uh, he complimented the way things were conducted because. You know, it's governed by Act of Parliament and, and the commissions at that time exercised the strict statutory control. And he was really impressed the way things were happening. We had a spate of champions and so forth. But the nice part was, you know, that by doing this, you, these boxers emerged as champions and they all got the opportunity to go to the uh, High Performance Center Pretoria where we uh, had sponsorship to help them, you know, with the training. I, I conducted for three years, I conducted clinics workshops, I've got relevant training material that, you know, um, helps bridge the gap, you know, between the logical training manuals and that type of thing. And uh, it made a big difference to our boxers, you know. Hmm. And, and, and and boxing provides the annual medical uh, uh, symposiums where doctors get together, discuss all the dangers of boxing. It makes it, you know, when you control it like that, it, it protects the fighters. And, and, it, and that's what it's about, you know. Absolutely. And I also want to talk about the money. Um, yes. We've we've seen, and I don't want to mention names, but a lot of boxers who don't have much when they when when they pass on, or you know that lifestyle is no longer there. Yes, well that's why it's important. I think boxers are never looking at that. I must hand the chairman, Matano Jack, a credit since he took the chair. Now he's got some a good vision to try to implement what you just said. You know systems where like a scheme can be done to protect fighters when they eventually quit boxing. Mm-hmm. You know. But 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 when I remember we had a, had a certain fee you couldn't you couldn't pay them less than X amount. When I first started in '63, the fight used to get 60. Those years, for example, the winner gets 60 percent, the loser gets 40 percent. Mm-hmm. And eventually, they set a certain fee you can't get less than that. And they make enormous purses in this country as well. Some guys have made, but you know, unfortunately, fighters then manage to manage that well. Another program that we 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 want to implement and help is for them to be able to learn how to deal with their monies and invest carefully, you know, and, and that's what the that training to develop means, you know, when we have these, these, these seminars. Not just about the fighters, but the way to keep the money and, and, and invest carefully, you know, cleverly. Another example, one fighter um, bought property, the late Pierre Fourier, he made a lot of money, he bought properties, mm. and it makes a difference. You know, you've got to invest the money carefully. Easy come, easy go sometimes. It's <laughs> <Not laughs> a worldwide. I you know. know. I'm you what Mike Tyson, how much money he spent and lost. Exactly. It's horrifying. It's horrifying. Millions and millions he threw away, you know? Yeah. Listen, let's take, let's take us to, to the boxing dressing rooms because as the referee, I'm sure you are loud in there. What has been some of the uh, conversations that stand out for you that you've had with boxers? Is there any specifics that you discuss when you are in the opponent's dressing rooms? Well, I'll give you one good incident. I've actually done a book on my memoirs on, on my career. It's quite an interesting uh, book. And, and one chapter in particular deals with the raw edge of boxing, a subject we've just been discussing now about South Africa and boxing and whatever. But get back to what happened. I was in, New, in Las Vegas to a fight between marvelous Marvin Hagler <laughs> and the great Roberto Duran, Hands of Stone, 
for the middleweight championship of the world of the 15 rounds. In fact, it was shown live on TV in South Africa. But I went to the change room to give instructions before the big fight. And, you know, speaking Spanish, I, I, like, I interpreted with me now to the end dressing room. And he said to me, he said to the interpreter, just tell him, as long as he can count to 10. <laughs> he didn't want to them all. He said, knock him out. He lost the point. Very close fight. But you get all sorts of things. Now, in, in dressing rooms, you have an inspector to watch. Because sometimes it's happened before. In Madison Square Garden, New York, this is not a lie, a fight that tampered with the gloves. And there's, 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 there was documentary on a salted marine where this, the, the, this fellow, his name was Panama Lewis, he took the the the, 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 um, the washier and the glove out and he, he put like plaster Paris on the glove. Yeah, on the I remember that story. That's it. And the guy got such beaten up. The guy, I was ringside. In fact, it was June 16. I remember clearly because I was supposed to referee the the uh, 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 the, 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 the Durand fight against David Moore. That's right, David Moore. But they wouldn't allow me because it was a demonstration against South Africa, apartheid, and the guys were concerned there may be some problems. So they, 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 I sat ringside watching the fights. But on the undercard, Billy Collins was his name, Junior Ford, a guy called Resto. And that's where I saw this guy, he wasn't even a punch of his Resto. Hmm. He couldn't break an egg, if you know what I mean. Yeah. He was pressing this guy up, his eyes were swollen. And eventually, as the bell ended, the father was in the corner with him. It was also a fight who came to this country. I read when he fought uh, uh, with Ludica. Mm. And I knew him. He went up to congratulate him. As he touched the gloves, he realized that, that, that there was no patties. They called the inspector across. They bent yeah. uh, in front of the gloves and the sound, but he just did. And the guy, they went, it was a, they went to, they both went to prison. Yeah. It was a crime, you can imagine. So it's, in the prison we watch, we watch what they They don't do anything. So illegal. they get to choose but, the gloves now. Yeah, well, what happens is for the for the main bout, and what they get, when they get gloved up, there's a guy to observe what they do. Mm. So you can't play guys. And also, they've improved the gloves. One of our uh, doctors in this country, Clyde Noble, invented what they call a closed cell foam glove. You can't manipulate because what they should do is take the gloves and manipulate it so that they get, you know, they, they used to use horse hair, ever lost. Now it's closed cell foam, you can't do that. Also, you know, the. Um, as I said, by watching what they do in the dressing room, they can't do anything illegal. You know what I mean? And that's where we, when they leave the dressing room to the ring, it's all monitored and carefully controlled. Stan. And we have an inspector in the corner as well watching what's going on. Oh, we have to wrap things up because we've got news coming up on yes. top of the hour. Okay. But before we wrap things up, as a boxing referee, there was a course that you recommended very early at the top of the show. Where can, you know, female uh, judges, referees in yes. training go? Yes. Well, well, what happens is this, I'm busy now with it. It'll be announced very shortly if it's going to New Year. And, of course, females, we've got excellent female referees and judges as well. I must say, really proud of that. And boxers, too. So it will <laughs> be announced, and everybody will be aware of it. Boxers are going to take care of that. But it's something that is necessary, and I enjoy doing very much, too. And also, it's, what's important, it's the psychology of boxing. That's, it includes that as well, which topics, it's very important to know, the psychology of boxing. So, um, but it will be announced. But thank you for having me on the show. And, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And I'm really proud that I'm associated. I'm very blessed. God's blessed me with all the times I've been involved and all the places I've been to. Oh, Stan, you are a living legend. Thank you so thank much you. for giving up your time for us here on SFM. We appreciate you. God bless you. Thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it sincerely. Thank you.